Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. We're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are in week number three. If you have any little ones in here, just want you to have a heads up about that. Um, we're talking about uh, this series that we titled it Like a River. And the reason is because as you think about a river flowing through its channel in the riverbanks, it can be a beautiful sight, an amazing sight. Some of the prettiest rivers in the country exist here in Arkansas. So beautiful. But you take that very same river, you add a whole lot more water to it, and it leaves the banks, it comes out of the river banks, and it becomes a flood. And at that point, it can become very, very devastating. It can become very destructive. And what we have said about that as a picture of our own lives. We have a life that God has given us, a life created by God, designed by God himself. And we are designed um, for our life to flow through that river bank that God has kind of metaphorically created for us. And when our life is inside of those banks, inside of those boundaries that God has created, then it can be a very beautiful thing. But if for some reason we choose to leave those banks, to go beyond those boundaries as designed by God, then our life will be a flood, devastating and potentially damaging, not just to ourselves, but to the people around us, which includes those very people that we love the most. We've also said in this series, with this motif of the river and the, the river banks, that sex has been created by God. And it is not just so that two people of the opposite sex can, can have children and reproduce. No, sex has been given to us by God so that we can give our entire self to that person. And we're saying in that, that I belong to you completely. I belong to you permanently and exclusively to you. The two, the Bible says, become one flesh. To be married or maybe. And we said no matter what, whether God has called you to be married or maybe he has reserved you for a life of being single, whichever one that is, or maybe you're just single now and will be married later. Whatever stage of life you find yourself in, God has called us all to sexual integrity as defined by God. And here's how we can kind of put some words to that to define sexual integrity. We can say this about ourselves, I'm sexually pure when I am getting no, absolutely no gratification from anyone or anything except for my spouse. Now this has been, up to this point, a tough series for me to teach. You know, you might be listening to me in this room or maybe online and you may be getting mad as you hear what we have talked about through this series. Now, I'll just be honest, I hate that about teaching because you're my friends. And very specifically, according to God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are my family. And I hate making family and friends mad, but I want you to know this. I am in a, in, I am in a similar position to you. Because all of these things that I've been talking about are not for you, they are for 
us. They include me as well. You know, it's really a good thing that I'm not teaching today from my opinions. My opinions about this subject, about this whole thing, it's a good thing because my opinions on this subject and this topic, they don't matter. They don't matter a bit. In fact, I would encourage you in this topic to ignore my opinions. Actually, I would encourage you to ignore all of our opinions on this topic. So what viewpoint does matter on this topic? Well, we can say clearly God's viewpoint matters on this topic. Why does not my viewpoint matter when we talk about sex and sexual integrity and purity? Here's why my viewpoint does not matter. Because I'm not the designer. I'm just a user. I'm not the designer. There's at least one thing that I know that is true of all of us today, and there are several things that I am assuming about us today. Let me start with the one thing that I know, and I'm going to apply that to myself. I'll start with me. One thing I know about all of us today, and I'm going to start with me, I have missed God's standard. I have missed God's standard in some pretty devastating ways. It's a fact. I have missed God's standard of sexual purity. I stand here representing a broken person. That's me. But I am being repaired. And I am being made new by Jesus. And I'm not alone in this. We're all broken, if we will be honest with ourselves. We're all broken. All of our views on sex are broken. But my hope is this. My hope is that you are also being renewed, being repaired, being made new as well. Now, I'm also making some assumptions as we are talking today. I have some assumptions that we're making specifically related to this series. Here's the first one. My first assumption is this. I'm assuming that we are all interested in following Jesus. And at the very least, we're considering following Jesus. And that's why we're taking part inside this room in the worship theater and for our friends online. If we have made it that far with our technology today, I'm assuming that about you as well. So I'm assuming that we are either following Jesus or interested, considering following Jesus. Here's the second assumption I'm making. If we are following Jesus or considering following him, then we want to know what his best life is that he has designed for me and for you. We want to know, I'm assuming, we want to know what his way is which we will be following. Here's assumption number three. If we are following Jesus, then that means this, we have been bought by him. He paid a price for us by the very blood that he shed when he was tortured and killed on that cross. He, made, he did that for us. And if we have given our lives to him, submitted our lives to him, and said, I'm going to follow you, that means he has bought us. And our lives no longer... Now, this is very important if you're considering following Jesus, because this is, this is the deal. Our lives no longer belong to us, 
They belong to him. If you're following Jesus, he has purchased your life, which means from now on, I am learning how to deny myself, deny my plans, deny my ways, deny the way I think that God should let me live. I am learning to deny that. And as the New Testament says, the New Covenant says, to take up my cross daily and follow him. So this is a big assumption. I'm still going. So, if we really do belong to him, when he does reveal to us a step or a river bank that he wants for our lives, a river bank of safety, we may resist at first. We may push back at first. We may not like it in the beginning. But... Because we are following him, we ultimately, eventually will choose to follow him and trust him in this area. So if we're really following Jesus, we don't look at him and say, hey Jesus, listen, thanks for taking all that torture for me. Thanks for that execution you suffered on the cross for me. I appreciate That ticket into heaven. Way to go. Thank you much, sir. But I'm not interested in following you. I just want the ticket. And so I'm going to do my thing down here, my own thing down here on this world, in this life, and we'll just meet back up in heaven a little bit later. What about that? Now, nowhere in the new covenant... Does that behavior or that thinking describe someone who is truly inheriting the kingdom of heaven? So here's the assumption. I'm assuming that if we are following Jesus, that we are actually following the next step that he reveals to us. So last week we talked about riverbank number one. We talked about what we take in with our eyes. Those images that we see that can sexually get us into gear. What we take in with our eyes. We also talked about it's not always just an image. It sometimes is a real person. If you as a fella are watching watching someone walk away from you and your eyes are just taking it all in. Or you're watching them walk towards you and you're just taking it all in. We talked about all of those images are feeding our lust. And we said, not only that, but part of this bank number one is not just what we bring in with our eyes. It's also what we bring into our minds and what we think about, what we dwell on, what we fantasize about inside our minds, that can also, for all of us, men and women, it can feed our lust. And we asked a question last week. We said, well, how much of that is okay, though? Certainly. Would it be okay? I'm just shopping. I'm not buying. How much is okay? And we said, God's Word tells us this. Here's how much is okay. So you ready? You can write this down if you missed last week. Here it is. 
Not even a hint. <laughs> That's what he said. Not even a hint. Not even a hint. He doesn't give us much margin there, does he? For that riverbank. But you know what? We can be, now if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to the previous two weeks. We can be in the riverbanks with our eyes, and we can be in the riverbanks with our minds, and we can still struggle with sexual integrity. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about today. So maybe, perhaps, you are not married, and perhaps, maybe, you're not feeling loved. Maybe you are married. And maybe you are not feeling loved by your spouse. That can make us very susceptible to what we're talking about today. It can make us begin to search and to go searching so that we can feel loved. We may not even be aware of it. But there's a part inside of our lives that is searching for that love. You know, they make some very powerful microphones that can, that can, that can isolate a signal and, uh, and pick it up from a long distance away, something you can't hear, but you can, if you aim it right, you can pick up that signal. Now, you may not even be aware of this. I may not even be aware of this when this is happening in my life, but if we don't feel loved... There is some kind of super powerful microphone attached to our heart and we are listening and we are scanning always. We don't even know we're doing it, but we are scanning and listening for that signal that says that we can be loved. And we are looking for it. Don't even know what's happening. But if we are feeling unloved, our heart is searching for love. Something that could feed that very real need. And we're specifically, our heart somehow is listening for the words that are around us. All the voices around us. Listening for very specific inflections in the voice very specific and we may not even know it's happening but it's listening for nuances in the voice listening to every conversation that we are having and it is hoping our heart hoping to find a source of much needed love you know talking is a very important part of our lives our words are very important. The words that we hear are very important. Even the words that we read are important to us. Words eventually become open doors. Saying to another person, I might be available to you. And in the area of sexual integrity, sexual purity, or sexual immorality, as defined by God, not by me, but by God, 
words actually become a very important part of that process. In the world of sex, as created by God, words actually become part of this foreplay process. And when our searching hearts, with this super kind of heart microphone, picks up a signal, we discover that that person might be available to us just to talk with. Perhaps just to vent to when life seems tough. To express our hurt and talk about our concerns. And eventually, over the course of some time, we began exchanging very personal words. Potentially intimate words. Some of those words spoken, some of those words written down. No affair has ever taken place without words, probably, whether married or single. Might just start with innocent fun, just office flirting. But underneath those words, a signal is being sent saying, whether it's intended or not, saying, hey, I'm open. I'm open to something more. More conversation. More discussion. Sharing our problems and helping each other through the problems. You know, that's very nurturing to do that, right? It is. And it is very much meeting a very real need. But if we are married, we are nurturing the wrong person. So here's a question. How far can I go with my words, spoken words and written words, and still be a Christ follower? Here's another way to ask that. How holy do I have to be? (laughs) Another way to ask that. How close to the riverbank can I get before it floods? I want to stop before it floods. How close can I get? Part of the reality is God does not want us, as His children, if you've chosen to be a follower of Jesus, He doesn't want you to just have His DNA as a child. He wants you and me to have his character. And so the short answer is this. How much can I explore with that and still be okay? Here's the answer. It's the same as last week on the screen. Even a hint. Not even a hint. The verse, I don't think it'll be on the screen. So listen to me say this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. The writer says, but among you, speaking of followers of Jesus, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality of any kind, any kind. No kind of impurity, he says. No greed. Because all of these, he says, are improper for God's holy people. So the answer is, how much can I flirt? How much can I use my word? Not even a hint, he says. All right, let's change gears for a moment. Words aren't all bad. 
for Vanessa. I've got with me a book, very special book. I made this book for Vanessa and I, and this book, it's got a little this, I guess, in case I get ornery. This book is full of all of our written communication as we, I put it all in here, all of our emails, all as we were getting to know each other. Everyone is in there. All of our written communication. We wrote a whole, a whole lot more things than we said. And it is just full. I love this book. It is full. All of these words, all of these emails. I can't remember if I have our text messages in here or not. There may be some. All of these words. I mean months and months and months of us just talking. And these words, all in here in this book. We've said a whole lot more words since then. But these, mostly good, I, I think. Mostly. But these are the ones that we had all these words before we got engaged that were written down. Um, words have an amazing ability to bond us together. Words bond hearts together. Both words spoken and words read. They bond us. They tie us together. They draw us closer and closer into deeper and deeper relationships. Words spoken, letters they bond us. And what happens is it lights a fire under our emotions. And it's as if our words are writing contracts between two hearts. Now, if we are already married, and we are using words with another person, spoken or written down. It is a contract that once entered into, we are already out of the riverbanks. We have already, with those words, flooded. And damage is taking place and destruction is happening, whether it is a private message on Facebook, a text message, an email, uh, a note that's left, something that is said uh, verbally, um, whether it is uh, uh, a private message on Instagram, Snapchat, anything. Those words have written a contract with another heart and we have left the riverbanks. And we have done nothing physically except exchange words. And even if we try to get out of that contract before anything has ever happened, hearts and emotions are already tied up and intertwined and entangled, and we have already in our lives left the riverbanks and we have flooded and damage is happening. A married person bonding with another person, someone of the opposite sex that is not their spouse, is always destructive. Nurturing that person is always destructive. Now let's expand this topic just a little bit. 
You may be thinking this, well, my words have never even been spoken. I don't even know this person. Uh, it's not even a real person, you might say, because these words that I've been involved in, it's just a book. I've just been reading books or magazines or whatever. These are not even words from someone I know. Maybe it's a romance novel. Maybe it's a movie and it's words you're hearing. And all the words are just contained in that script. Or... Maybe it's just words of music. Yeah, they're singing about cheating, and they're singing about having sex with someone they're not married to, but it's just a song. And I just want to present to you that words are not harmless. Those kind of words that we find in books and magazines and some songs, those, those kind of words can become like junk food sexually. They can kind of become like garbage. And if we're filling our minds with garbage words, then eventually that garbage begins to rot. And it begins to infect our soul. It begins to infect how we see and respond to the world around us, which infects the way that we actually live our lives. And that is harmful to the people in our lives that are close to us. So when it comes to words, we need some help. We need some protection. We need to monitor and guard our intake. We really need to monitor what we've been reading, whether it's in a book or a magazine or on the internet, even if it's email and text. We need to monitor what we've been reading. We need to monitor what we're allowing to come into our ears from movies and from, uh, from, from the TV. We need to monitor what we're hearing. We need to monitor what we're listening to, even in music. We have memories that will be attached to attached to specific songs. Because some of my poor choices as a young man, I had memories that were attached to songs. And I, I couldn't listen to those songs from those years of my life, from that stage of my life, because I was flooded with every song I heard, so many of them. I had a memory, very specific memory and images and scenarios and decisions attached to that song. And when I would hear that song, my mind would be flooded again with all of that. It took me decades. I'll be honest, I'm just now have been to that point in the past few years where I can listen to those songs from decades ago. That's for me. I don't know about you. Now I can listen to them without memories and images and scenarios flooding into my mind, reliving those bad decisions, which involved not just my mind, they involved my emotions, and they involved my heart. So the Bible tells us. Last week we talked about how we need to guard our minds. This week, I want you to know the Bible says we have to guard our hearts. A verse you may be familiar with. It's in 
Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, guard your heart above all else, the wisdom writer says. For it, your heart, determines the course of your life. And so it does. Our hearts need to be guarded against at least two types of words. We need to guard our hearts against garbage words, whether they're spoken or whether they're written, whether they're packaged as books or magazines or meat, so that we don't infect our souls. And if we're married, we need to guard our hearts against bonding words, whether they're spoken or whether they're written we need to guard our hearts against those words spoken or written to someone of the opposite sex that is not our spouse because we must guard our heart against a forbidden, according to God, and inappropriate, according to God, relationship. And it all begins with our words. You see, if it were up to us, we would probably just follow our hearts and just be won over by those sweet words. Bonded to another person by those words. And we would just follow our hearts right into another relationship. But we have to guard our hearts. You see, the Bible tells us, guard our hearts. Don't follow your heart. Don't ever follow your heart. God knows what's best for us. The truth is, our hearts, they don't. But maybe we say, ah, listen, I, I work with the opposite sex. I've got to talk to them all day long, every day. What am I going to do? I've got to interact with them five days a week. What are you telling me to do, Harley? I've got to do that. Yes, 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 of course. Absolutely. Here's what the experts say. If we must exchange words with the opposite sex as we work with them, here's what they say. And I think this is great wisdom. Communicate with them. You have to. That's all business. Don't bond with them. We have to be so careful because our words will lead us into an affair or if we're single, our words can lead us into an inappropriate sexual relationship or our words can stop an affair. They can stop a sexual relationship before it ever begins. And yes, God has called us to be holy. And yes, we have all missed, myself included, we have missed the mark. But you know, holiness is not going to land on me or you. It's not going to land on us like a fog and just settle in on our lives. And all we have to do is just be there. Holiness, according to the new covenant, takes character work. See, we have these synoptic 
pathways in our brain. And they have, for many of us to this point, been wired one way. And that is toward gratifying in either in our, with our eyes or our mind, being gratified sexually with what we see outside of marriage. And this character work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, that character work has to find new, and this is the scientific side of it, new pathways inside of our brains to begin, for God to begin to create this holiness that he wants to create in our lives. And the old pathways begin to die as the new ones are developed. And that happens as God's grace inside of our lives begins to teach us to say no to ungodliness and to live verses like we find in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Let me read this for you. Paul says, And we are instructed to turn from godly, godless living and from sinful pleasures, And we should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and with devotion to God. So God is at work in the process if we will surrender to him in making that happen. Verse 13, he says, We will look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. And that is saying when he comes back. And that's a whole nother, whole nother topic there. Verse 14. He gave his life, this is Jesus, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us. And notice he said every kind of sin, including what we're talking about right now to free us, and he's assuming this has happened in your life, as Paul is saying, and God has came, sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, to free us from exactly what we're talking about today. And Paul says, some of you have been involved in that, but Jesus is in the process of freeing you from that. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To not just free us, but now to cleanse us, Paul says. And then he ends it with this, and to make us his very own people, and here's how he describes that then, his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. That is a transformed life. And God, if you become a follower of his, will be in the process of doing that in your life. It's an ongoing process for the rest of your life. We never arrive at the holiness of God. This side of heaven. Holiness is not an immediate state. As soon as we say, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, holiness, you don't become holy. Holiness, rather, think of it like this, is more like a series of choices. That's what holiness is. We will only be holy when we choose not to sin. And that sounds pretty discouraging because some of us were sinning on our way here, right? That sounds discouraging. 
But here's the thing. We have absolute every, absolutely everything that we need to move in that direction of holiness. And it is called the Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's Spirit actually living inside of you. I can't explain how that happens. That's a spiritual thing that only God understands. But if you have chosen to follow Jesus, to surrender your life to Him, you bought it on the cross, Jesus, and I'm giving it to you. I'm going to follow you. We have everything we need from that moment of that decision, everything we need, and it's called the Holy Spirit. And the moment we take a step toward God and away from that sin, a very specific sin, not just this world of sin, a very specific sin, this has had a hold on me, but the moment I take a step towards God, the Holy Spirit is right there, and He is guiding me, and He is walking me through the struggle. Now here's how we're going to end this talk today. I have three questions that I want to give you that apply to all of the river banks of safety that we're going to talk about. We're going to end it next week with the last bank. But they apply to today, but they also apply to what we talked about last week. It works with all the river banks. The three questions I'm going to give you today as we end this. But this week... I just simply want you to apply these three questions to everything we talked about last week and to what we talked about today. So last week we talked about our eyes, what we see, what we take in. And last week we talked about our mind, what we think about, what we dwell about, what we fantasize about. Apply these three questions to that riverbank and also apply these three questions to today's riverbank, which today we're talking about our words, the words we read and the words that we speak and the words we hear okay so here is how this begins it begins with first corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 and the first part of that verse says this all things are lawful for me all right all things are lawful for me and what this is implying is that we have looked in the scripture the new covenant specifically and we find out what does God say is okay scripturally related to all things sex, all things sexual, what is okay, and what has God prohibited. And so when we see the phrase, all things are lawful for me, what we're assuming is we understand what the new covenant says about sex. And so that's going to require some reading on all of our parts. But that's the first question. The first question we're asking this, number one, is it this, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever words I'm dealing with or whatever I'm looking at or whatever uh, I'm thinking about in my mind, is this prohibited in Scripture? That's test number one to determine, should I be involved in this? We can safely assume, pretty safe, that if it is not prohibited in the new covenant, then it's okay. All right. Now, there may be some things that you ask me, and I'm and like, well, we got to think about that. But generally speaking, if you don't find it prohibited in the new covenant, then it, pretty much the scripture doesn't speak on it, which means it's probably okay. All right. That's test number one comes from the verse, all things are lawful for me. Okay, so of those things are lawful, is, is it prohibited in Scripture? 
That's the first question we need to ask. Here's the second question. It's the second part of that verse. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. So here's our question. Second question. So we've asked, is it prohibited in Scripture? If we pass that test, if any one of these tests fail, it all fails. If we pass that test, we go to the second one. Is it beneficial? In other words, does this in any way harm my spouse or hinder my sexual relationship with my spouse? Or you could say, or your future spouse. Is it prohibited? Question one. The second one would be, is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Does it in any way harm my spouse or does it uh, hinder my sexual relationship with my spouse? We have to answer that question. And if it harms my spouse or if it interferes with my sexual relationship with my spouse, then it, if it does, it has failed that test. We can go ahead and answer the question. I don't need to be involved in that. Or I don't need to read those words or take those words in or listen to those words. Here's the third question. We have a new verse for this one. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and it says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. So here is our third question. It says, Honor my marriage. It says, Remain faithful to my spouse in my marriage. So number three, does this activity or words or what I'm seeing or what I'm taking in, does it involve anyone else other than my spouse? Is there any kind of sexual gratification with my eyes or my mind or my words that I'm listening to or hearing? Is this, is this sanctioned by God for me to be involved in this? Because God has sanctioned sexual gratification in any way, whether it's from our eyes or what we're thinking about or words that are bonding hearts together or words that we're taking in from a book or whatever, God has sanctioned that only to be between a husband and a wife. If it involves someone else or if it becomes public, then according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it is a no. And it falls into the not even a hint. Now, this sounds like a bunch of, well, just, you know, great, good information, but how does that really work? Let me just give you three scenarios just to, just to give you an idea how this can work. And this is where we're ending, just letting the band know. Scenario number one. Let's say that someone is married they're working late at the office or at the shop or, or at Rice. So they're working late, and they're working late with the opposite sex, but this person's married. And they get a little bit of time, and they just want to go grab a bite to eat. All right? Got to eat, right? Everybody's got to eat. Is it permitted? Here's question number one. Is that permitted in Scripture? Well, yeah, everybody's got to eat. There's no, no scriptural mandate that says do not go out to eat with that person. 
So yeah, it passes that test. Here's question number two. Is it beneficial? Does it in any way harm my spouse? Well, I mean, the truth is my spouse may not really appreciate the two of us going out to eat together. So I'm going to have to say it probably does violate that. And when you add to it the last one, does it involve someone besides my spouse? The answer is most definitely yes. So I'm going to say, I mean, it sounds so innocent, but it fails the test. Now again, remember, this test is designed, this three-part test is designed to help us keep our lives safely in the river banks and using God's mandate that says, not even a hint don't even give it a shot. So I would say that probably failed. Here's a second. So I would say, have to say, oh, I better say no to that. I better not do that. Yeah. I got to work late. Yes. But we don't have to go eat together at a restaurant. Here's scenario number two. Let's say whether you're single, married, doesn't matter. You got a steamy, hot romance novel. Is it permitted in Scripture? Well, possibly. I'd have to know more about the book, right? We'd have to know more what's inside of it. So I'm not sure about that. Secondly, question. Is it beneficial? Does it harm my spouse in any way? Well, maybe not. They may not have any idea. Maybe not. Does it involve someone besides my spouse? In other words... If inside of that book, that steamy novel, it begins to rev some engines in our minds in a sexual way, then yes, here's the answer to that question. Does it involve someone other than my spouse? And the answer would be yes, it most certainly does. And then it would fail the test. And we would say no to that and help keep our lives more safe inside these riverbanks. Here's one more scenario just to help us understand. Let's say someone's married and they're in the break room at work talking with someone sitting at a table in public in the open. They're not in private, in the open, in public with someone of the opposite sex. They're just sitting at a table at a coffee break. One of the people, though, is having some struggles in their relationship, in their marriage, and they just need someone to talk to. Is that permitted in Scripture? I mean, we're to help each other and encourage each other, right? It's, it's not. Yeah, that's, it's permitted in Scripture. It passes that test. Is it beneficial? Does it in any way harm my spouse? Um, well, it might. The spouse may not be comfortable with them sitting there talking about very personal things the spouse with the opposite sex. That could harm your spouse. So I would say that is beginning to fail that test. Does it involve someone besides my spouse? The answer is yes. Because a closeness is beginning. A bonding is beginning and developing. It fails the test. And we should say no to that scenario. The point is, 
these three questions can help us with any scenario in our lives regarding sexual purity and sexual integrity. If we would stop and ask those questions, those three questions, it would help to keep us safely in the riverbanks as we follow Jesus. Our hearts should not be engaged by words from someone who is not our spouse. Because bonding takes place. If we are married, our hearts should instead be consumed with cherishing our spouse. And I pray that you, along with me, will take these three questions with us this week. I'm going to close this in prayer before we sing these two songs. Please hang around for these songs. They're going to, they're going to help your heart worship. But this prayer, I have simply paraphrased the scripture we read in Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Will you join me as we end this paraphrase? And I hope your hearts will be saying to God, that's me too. That's me too. Let's pray. Father, help us turn from following our own standards and chasing after our own thoughts, God. And help us to turn and pursue and chase after you. We need your spirit, Father, to help us live in this world because we need his wisdom. You gave your life for us, Jesus, to free us from the bondage that our hearts have chased after. And you found us there and picked us up and you cleansed us, you wiped us off, and you made us your very own children for all of those who have chosen to submit to and to follow you, Jesus. Now we ask that you help us this week to guard our hearts, to guard our emotions against dangerous words and dangerous conversations that can lead us away. May we filter everything through your scriptural test this week so that we can stay safely in the riverbanks. And it is, with, it is with your help and your help alone, Jesus, that we can do this. We ask this in your name.